You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 50 of You Play or What. I hope all of you are well. And guess what? It has been exactly a year to this day that the first two episodes of You Play or What was published. And since the first two episodes of the podcast, over the last 50 episodes, I have had 37 guests and some personal rants. I want to take this time to thank all the listeners of the podcast for your support over this period of time. And I hope that this podcast has been able to add value to your lives, allowed you to learn more about the lives of musicians in Singapore, and also provide a platform for local musicians to talk about their work. And of course, I have to thank all the guests that has taken up their precious time to come onto the show. I've learned so much from all of you and taking on this project has really allowed me to dig deeper into some issues which I would normally brush off. So I have renewed my podcast hosting subscription. So I might be doing this for another year and let's see if we can hit episode 100 this time next year. Now on to this episode. My guest is Don Wong, and gosh, where do I start? She's been on primetime television. She is a mother of two, a music scholarship recipient, and an absolute force to be reckoned with because of the remarkable work that she has been doing. And she somehow has this ability to speak as if all of the things that she's doing is so effortless and so simple. As part of a diverse portfolio, Dawn took up the role of project director of the One Million Towards Utopia movement started by the foundation. You might remember in episode 47, I spoke to Jun Hong about the Utopia Symphony and the role he took on in the recording process with the LPO at the legendary Abbey Road studio. Dawn is just part of the team that made it all happen, so no big deal. It's always a joy to speak to someone who takes their work extremely seriously, but does not take themselves too seriously. It was such an enjoyable chat. So in this episode, we spoke about her experience performing on live television and dealing with negative feedback, her role as project director of the One Million Towards Utopia movement by the foundation, and what this campaign is all about, the difference that the foundation is seeking to make, the relevance and the impact of the arts in our daily lives, her own musical journey and career developments, creating her own musical identity and style, keeping her creative muscle working in tough times, the creation of her brainchild, Just for Kids, the creative process behind her album, Marco Lopo, and then finally, growing your work and career as an artist. This conversation could have gone in so many different directions, and we just don't have enough time, and perhaps a part two is in order sometime later. But for now, please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Dawn. Hello, 
My guest today is no stranger to the spotlight. She has been on primetime television, showcasing her singing chops, and have since completed music school, recorded her own albums, and most importantly, crafted out a career in music that consists of a portfolio that is as diverse as it gets. She is a recipient of the music scholarship offered by the Jazz Association Singapore. She is, of course, Don Wong. So I've got my coffee ready, and I'm excited for this conversation. Welcome to the show, Dawn. How are you doing this fine morning? Hi, thank you for having me. I wish I could have another cup of coffee, but I've met my quota today. That's never too much, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, I have to uh, limit myself to one cup a day because I am breastfeeding. Am I allowed to say that word? Right, of course you are. You're allowed <laughs> to say anything that you want. <sighs> it's nice to have an hour just to speak to somebody <laughs> else. Right. So uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show and chatting with me. And I think we've got plenty to talk about here. Thank you for having me. No, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And you, maybe you're already a little bit sick talking about this, but uh, I thought we'll start things off with your time as a participant on Project Superstar 2. Right, so let's roll back the years a little bit. Uh, what are some of the memories that uh, you have or that has stuck with you over this period of time filming for this program? Do people even remember of what that thing was? <laughs> I mean... I yeah. do, because I grew up watching that, right? And it left an indelible uh, impression on you, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> well, it was a time where uh, music competitions were live on television, right? And on a pretty good slot. Television, what is what? that thing? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it seems like a really long time ago, but in actual fact... Oh, wait, it was. <laughs> so it was about maybe 12 or 13 years ago. And, and every time somebody brings it up, I, I, you know, I die a little inside. Not because it was a bad experience, but, um, you know, there were some dubious uh, fashion choices back then. And the photos are going to haunt me forever. So, <laughs> so, so that's the first thing I think of, you know, when you say that. Right. But, um, but, but definitely... You know, the entire experience was was wonderful. I mean, when else would you get, you know, an opportunity to to do all those things, right? To be able to um, to perform on stage, to do it, it with people who enjoy it as well, right? To have that whole experience of, of learning how to um, perform, present yourself, to, to speak, to respond um, all on camera, um, yeah, to get dressed up in fancy clothing, whether or, or not, you know, <laughs> the choices will survive the test of time. But yeah, it was, it right, was definitely right. an experience yeah. that I do not regret. Probably um, the only thing that came close to it was when I auditioned for Voice of China. This was a, a bit more recently, maybe in... Hmm. Okay, so, so I think this was about three years ago right because um hmm. clearly i did not make it to the television round so so nobody would have known about it um but it was it was kind of the same but more intense because they would fly us up to china um you know put us up in our own rooms and you know shuttle us to the auditions where you sit and you wait um and, you know you talk to people you make friends you, you you make music while you're waiting or you just sit there nervously biting your nails whatever you know whatever suits you yeah however you cope with the stress right exactly and then and yeah. it was quite exciting because 
um, I did get to where they did the studio recording bit, mm. right? So, you know, I got to experience that all over again, you know, nearly 10 years later and it was it was super fun and super exciting. Um, but it was also at the same time that I discovered I was expecting my first child. And so, you know, these things mm. and pregnancy and motherhood don't mix. So, it was, yep, so that kind of... That was that was the end of that. Right. Okay. Back when you were participating in, in such competitions and being on this sort of national limelight, back then, social media isn't as rampant as now. Right now, we get almost instant feedback on the work and the stuff and the performances that we put up. Easy for people to, to comment on our work. So uh, was, was there any way that you could get feedback from the audience when you were doing this uh, show? There was actually, um, because as, um, as long ago as it was, uh, you know, the, the internet and, and uh, commenting was already a thing. And uh, I think in my season, they had a, an official blogger whose responsibility was just to write about everything she saw um you know experienced during the whole process and um you know i have i have what you might uh, describe as an rbf or resting um b-i-t-c-h face and um being very new <laughs> right. to everything um i also you know was learning about you know how to say the right thing i'm very bad at, at that so um, long story short, okay. we'll, we'll find uh, TLDR out. We'll find out. Yeah. is that, um, you know, there were there were a number of uh, hurtful and unkind comments that were made, uh, you know, online in response to the posts uh, that were coming out of the show, and so, um, you know, keyboard warriors were a thing even at that time, mm. and uh, I, I suppose that entire experience kind of. Um, informs how I behave on social media, even up to today. I'm just a little bit more cautious, a little bit more private, mm. um, even though the nature of my work, you know, suggests that I should be very open with my personal life. But, you know, I, I just can't, I, I can't do that. Right. Uh, because of all okay. of these experiences. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it is true, right? You draw the line somewhere to, to protect yourself. Somehow, because like like you said, you don't want this to kind of get into your personal life or affect your personal life too much. Yeah, so I, I think that's a that's really good uh, way of kind of keeping things quite clear and drawing that boundary. I think it's also because I have children now and mm -hmm. I kind of don't want to let them be affected by my mistakes if I happen to say something that is wrong or that is unappreciated, I don't want to give a channel to people to let my children bear mm. the repercussions of it. Yeah. You know, so I'm extra careful because of that. Mm. Fair enough. Spoken like a true mother. Really, really nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, this segue really nicely to my next question, which is that you've just recently gave birth to your second child. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. On a recent post, I read this caption that you posted, which is uh, relearning what it's all about. Can you talk to us a little bit more about this? Like, how, how has it been so far since the second child is born? 
Oh boy, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a... You know, the newborn phase is every bit as brutal as I remember it to be. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, just having to be up at all hours, doing whatever it is that needs to be done, uh, you know, mm. ninja maneuvers to make sure you don't get pooped on in the middle of the night, all that sort of thing. <laughs> it's just, it's all coming back to me now because, you know... They say with time, you you tend to forget. It's true. So you forget all the horrible things that you had to deal with because all the nice things, you know, stay in your memory. Right. And yeah, I'm just relearning and remembering, um, you know, all, the, all those other bits as well mm. right now. Talk to us about how having children has affected the way... Uh, your your lifestyle has been and your career because uh, like you said you had auditioned for the voice of china and then you found out that you were uh, expecting your first child and you also kind of mentioned that these kind of things don't really mix so uh, how has that been for you well you know the timing of my second child uh you know is intertwined with everything that's happening right now and mm. um to be honest when when COVID uh, and its effects first hit us in the early part of, of last year of 2020, I actually thought to myself, okay, this is actually a great time to have a child. Because, um, I mean, we were already planning for number two, but it's just that at that time, everything was, you know, um, was taken off the table. There was no work. Um, I mm. am mainly a, a jazz singer who who sings and performs at events like you know corporate networking product launches that sort of thing as well as I do some weddings so my main source of income my main work was completely uh, obliterated because of all the restrictions mm. and definitely you know to keep everybody safe right so I didn't yeah. have um, all those shackles that came with you know, when I had my first child, worrying about is the client going to drop me because I'm I'm pregnant, um, for whatever reason, which has happened. You know, things I I was very surprised, but even in twenty, uh, eighteen, things like that was still happening. Um, and also I didn't have to worry about oh um if I take, uh, an engagement that you know happens to be close to when I'm due, is that going to be a problem? There was none of that. Right, because there was no work mm. at all. So, right. um, and also, I'm definitely very fortunate to have um, at least uh, stable work. So I wasn't struggling like many others. And um, so, for me, in my situation, um, because I was already planning to have a second child, I thought, okay, let's make the most of this horrible situation. Um, you know, and 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 do it right. Mm. Um. Yeah, but then, uh, well, wow, it's it's like you can't speak about this without heaving a sigh, uh, because it really okay. upended the industry. But yet at the same yeah. time, you know, I was able to pivot uh, away mm. from performing and towards my other work, which is with yeah. an arts charity called the Foundation for the Arts and Social Enterprise, where I mm -hmm. do more project planning. Um, and well, I'm supposed to do project management, but there's not much to manage right now as well. Um, yeah. So we did 
also go into a bit more strategy. And um, and the funny thing about this whole, you know, uncomfortable situation was that I found that I really enjoyed um, the management side of things, right? Mm. And I really appreciated being able to step away from performing um, and focusing on strategy, on project planning, on management, because um, I guess, you know, as much as people say becoming a parent, it strips you of all, all of your time, it forces you um, to be very focused and selective about what you do, which is which is completely true. But also I realized that there was another level to it. There was another layer um, where I wanted to do things with my limited time that would influence and affect the landscape that my children would experience, right? So I wanted mm. to help um, make meaningful projects happen. Um, and because of my job at the foundation, um, you know, I was able to pivot towards that direction. And right. uh, that's something I'm quite comfortable with at this stage. Mm. Yeah, and so true uh, with regards to how we spend our time and also our energy. This is a uh, very important resources to us as sort of um, musicians or, or freelancers to take on projects that really could uh, that we are passionate about that we feel quite strongly about, isn't it? Uh, and uh, we're going to go into this uh, the role that you've taken up with uh, the foundation, but uh, let's just uh, I just want to ask you also about. The, the part about being dropped because your clients realized that you were pregnant, how did they break this news to you? So because I didn't realize it was a problem, I didn't men- mention it to anyone because to me, I looked fine. Um, I could mm. do my job. And for the most part, things were okay. Uh, but I did experience a client who, um, through an events company, came back mm-hmm. to me and said, after realizing through uh, some photographs I'd sent over um, for them to pick, you know, the, the outfit that I was going to wear mm. so that it would match their, you know, their theme and, and, and decor or whatever it was. Um, right. They realized that I was expecting and they said, you didn't tell us. And my response was, that. Y- yes, because, you know, why is that even <laughs> yeah, a thing that I had to tell you? I was... Yeah. Exactly, I was I was completely you know I was dumbfounded, but but mm. so, um, I tried to convince them that I was completely able to to do the job. They didn't have to worry about um my health or my safety, because mm-hmm. I was still very um I was I was right smack in the middle, the sweet spot where things were generally you know the easiest, the safest, right? About five months, right? Um, mm. but they were very insistent on whatever it was that they were insistent on. They wouldn't say, and that was fine. So um, I didn't want to get the event company in trouble because they mm. are my client. And right. um, I found a replacement for them. It was really difficult, but I managed to find a replacement for them and I just handed the, the whole thing over um, mm. to this other person and let them deal with it. So right. that experience kind of, um, it told me, well, I guess it, it taught me to, I guess, just tread a bit more carefully. I mean, I still don't agree with this whole way, this whole system, the whole mm. the way things are done. But I guess it is what it is for now. 
Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's just wrong on, on quite a few levels, right? Um, to just drop a client. And then, you know, I think that the least they could do was to be honest about what was actually the issue. But obviously, I, I think that perhaps uh, when they say it out, then it doesn't look good on them, perhaps. I think it's hard to be honest about discrimination. You know, there's no yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no way to 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 put it. But yeah. I I think the thing that troubles me is I don't know how to change it. You know, mm. I, I mean, I'm I'm very glad that most people don't find it a problem at all. They they see me rock up at their event and they go, oh, you're expecting congratulations. Uh, yeah. this is where the band is going to be, and you know that's that's <laughs> the end of it, right? Yeah. Or or if I if I look really big, they go, are you going to be okay? I say yes. Mm. Okay, all right. Yeah. And um, at the end of the evening, everyone's happy because the job was done as it should have been done, and mm. you know things go on. So the thing that troubles me is is I don't know how how we can, um, yeah, make this go away. How how is this still even accepted in this day and age? I don't understand. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I think first and foremost we have to make this known. Right. We have to talk about it first. When, when more people speak about it, then they there can be a, a, a course of action that will follow. It, it is a, a difficult thing to kind of navigate and to, to kind of get right and fix. Yeah, let's uh, now talk about your role at the foundation that you've mentioned, which is you're the project director of the One Million Towards Utopia campaign that they have launched. So uh, you, you've already kind of mentioned about your role and what you do there. Uh, how did this uh, engagement come to you? And can you also share a little bit about what this campaign is all about? Okay, so after I finished at La Salle, which was where I um, studied music much later on in my career, this was not too long ago. It's, uh, I think, in the in, in about... 2019 so this was only two years ago I was Mm. recommended and introduced to the founder of the foundation uh, Michael Tay and somehow or other I got the job (laughs) right Um, I think that it was just a whole um, meeting of points of all the trajectories that I had been on prior to to that time right which was Mm. as um, as a singer, as a freelancer, I had to make things happen myself if I wanted them to happen at all. So mm-hmm. um, it started out with, you know, being a manager for myself, uh, finding my own gigs, and then finding gigs for other people, and then, you know, discovering or deciding that there were certain projects that we wanted to take a bit further, and so getting into the whole grant writing process, organizing you know, tour, tours for our music, um, all those things, right? So arts management, project management. And after I finished at La Salle with, you know, that music uh, degree, um, I guess I was ready for a role that was bigger than myself. And so mm. when... This opportunity at the foundation came along. I thought, okay, great. You know, let's 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 do this and let's see 
what else um, can happen because it, the foundation mainly is built on three main areas. Um, the first being commissioning and exporting of Singapore art. The second would be education and outreach. So all, all the projects that we commission and that we export, we also try um, and extract um, educational um, benefits and to use those you know, projects to uh, to do community outreach, um, not just for audiences, but also for uh, current and next generation artists. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we are interested in philanthropy. So we are trying to um, reorientate how people uh, view giving to the arts. Because as we all know, when you think about charitable giving, the first, um, and naturally, definitely myself included, the first response would be um, to give to those who have less than us. When you give to the arts, it's something that is not as not conventional in terms of charitable giving, at least that, that, that mindset. It's not so easily measurable, right? Yes, but the thing about the arts is that, you know, it has to exist for all of us to, to thrive. Um, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, or at least that we believe to be the fact of the matter, is that the arts exist in all of us. Um, even as, as a baby, as a child, you are, you know, exploring creative ways to learn things, to do things. Um, and if allowed or given the opportunity, uh, I think many more children will discover they have artistic tendencies or talent um, that would otherwise be buried, right? Mm. And it, not, not to say that everyone has to grow up to become an artist, but that um, just by living with the arts, um, it benefits our lives in, in many, many ways, um, it could help to uh, inform your your daily jobs, right? Even if you were, say, an engineer or a doctor, um, just the whole process of getting involved with the arts about how do you learn something? You know, why why do I do mm. this step and then ne- this other step next? How did it fit in with each other, right? And then you draw lessons from anything that you do. It could be pottery, it could be music, it could be painting, and you apply that to mm. your own lives. You know, you can apply it to your work. You can apply it to how you teach your children. Um, you can apply uh, the philosophies to how you treat other people, how you interact with people, and the, the choices that you make, right? There's so many, mm-hmm. it's so pervasive. There's so many ways that the arts are important to us. Um, and so for me, yes, this was a, you know, this is a very meaningful opportunity um, to help the arts gain a stronger foothold in the daily lives of Singaporeans. Yeah. Mm. And um, I think that is also very closely related to the utopia movement, right? Because, you know, the, the, the beginnings of the word were, were not as positive as it is today, right? Because the idea of utopia um, was, you know, a, a bit almost dystopian. But... The intention mm. of the composer of the Utopia Symphony, uh, Vladimir, Ma- Vladimir Martinov, was that Utopia to him mm. is not a destination, but a state of becoming. So it mm-hmm. is a constant process that is being renewed every single day as you strive um, towards a better future continuously. Right? Which, which sounds like the, the life that we, we we live every day, right? This is this is Singapore, this is us, this is 
you know, in every fiber of our being, we're just trying to get better and better every day. And I think that is also um, what I believe in, because for me, the, the, the process of creating the art or creating music is exactly, dare I say, utopia, right? Because what we're trying to do is the ideal life for us is to be able to wake up every day and do the thing that you love that is meaningful to mm-hmm. you. Um, and then when you get to the end of that cycle, you just go back to the start. Do and, it again. And, and do yeah. it all over again and again and again yeah. and again. Right. And then each project is different. You know, you discover more uh, about yourself, about the things around you. And, and, and to be able to just do that. Um, yeah. That's, that's a life, isn't it? Mm. Right. It is. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you brought up some really good points. One thing that you mentioned was the the profound impact that arts or learning the arts or participating and practicing the arts has on a person's daily life and inform them on how they do their work. Because a lot of our work in the arts, it's non-binary. We, that we have to explore, we have to improve, and it's not really a correct or wrong. It's not really a black or white there's a lot of ways of interpretation. There's a lot of ways to improve and to grow. And in some other industries or in some other work, it might not be like that. So it's more sort of like whether you've done it correctly, whether you got the results or not. And the results itself uh, is definitive of whether you've completed or if you've done well. This, this idea that uh, things are usually in life not like this, that there is a a wide spectrum of possibilities and outcomes and to focus on this sort of process, I think it's quite important. So I was talking to one of my friends where uh, he had a colleague. So this friend of mine, he is working in a consultation firm and his colleague is a mathematician. So his colleague would never understand the idea of going through a particular process and things don't, you don't get results overnight. So he would try to go about it, trying to get the result, going for, for shortcuts and things like that. And then get told off by the manager saying that, like, no, you, you can't do that. Some, some of these things take time. And he had to just wrap his head around that, you know. I think that for us, there's no problem in going on this journey and exploring and know that in a, uh, after a certain period of time, if we put in the work, then things will eventually kind of work out and we'll get outcomes that we want. Yeah, I mean, the arts is a lot more scientific than most people would think because it sounds a lot like a a research experiment, isn't Mm. it? Like if you had a lab and you were, you know, looking for a certain outcome, um, you would have to go through that process over and over again and, you know, picking out the stuff that doesn't work, keeping the stuff that does work and rejigging your experiment to uh, improve your chances of success. So the arts is not too different, right? It's it's kind of the same thing, but we just have a different medium. And I think that process and, and dare I say, the joy in the process and the discovery can apply to so many things, yep. right? So it's so transferable. Mm, absolutely. So now let's uh, talk about your musical journey and your career developments. So bring us back to how you got acquainted with music and how things has grown from there? Well, growing up, I was always surrounded by music. Um, my 
uncle went to Berkeley College of Music in the 80s before it was even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an aunt who, who was a, you know, a singer and she would do four sessions a day. So breakfast, lunch, uh, tea time and dinner gigs. That was, that was her life. Um, and I had, I had another aunt who actually made a couple of records back in the day. I think it was the 60s. So suffice to say, I was, I was surrounded by music a lot growing up. Um, and I always toyed with the idea of getting into it, but I didn't think I was talented enough. Um, so it was just something um, at the back of my mind until I was at university for the first time. So I was studying finance and international business uh, at university. And my, my father had cancer and then he passed away very, very suddenly. And it was after that that I realized that life is too short to to do stuff that, um, you know, that you don't like. Mm. That is very bad advice. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is very bad advice. I mean, <laughs> for young people listening to this, yeah. guys, that's not what I mean. I mean, if there is something you believe in, you should give it a go. Mm. But, you know, there will always be parts of anything that you do that you don't like. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, don't don't cut that part out and quote me. Terrible, <laughs> terrible advice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, and then I got started on it by I just enrolled myself in you know fun hobby sort of music schools, mm-hmm. um, learning singing and you know presenting yourself on stage that kind of thing, um, and then I joined Project Superstar, yeah. which gave me my first taste of doing gigs after the competition had ended. Mm-hmm. But still, I had no idea what I was doing. And um, I, I floundered doing that after a while. And eventually, I got a day job. And so I would work days and then do gigs on the on the weekends. And then sometimes evenings as well as, as things got busier. Um, at one point, I was working for uh, the St. James Group, which at the time was managing all the uh, live music entertainment outlets at St. James Power Station. Mm-hmm. So I was um, on the management side of things doing marketing and about PR but at the same time I would was able to observe and see how you know the lighting and the sound technicians would put the staging you know together um, to see how the performers would um, sometimes they would put together a special show how they entertained uh, the audiences costumes uh, lots of stuff mm. um, but I resisted performing at the venue even though my boss offered me uh, you know a, a gig there because okay. if I took that I would never be able to go home <laughs> um, right. and so <laughs> it's true because it's a night night nightlife spot yeah. right so I, I would truly never be able to mm. go home um, and then after that uh, I had enough momentum to quit my day job uh, it, I went part-time for my day job and then eventually I took the training wheels off and I, I gigged full-time. Mm. Um, and then that, that was where the, the plateau hit me. Like I, I just plateaued, right? Mm. And I was feeling very lost and I, did, I wasn't sure um, how else uh, to proceed. So I, I thought, okay, let's go back to school. Um, I'm a bit of a nerd that way. I like studying. I like learning things. And so I went back to music school um, and I studied jazz vocal performance. And um, yeah, and and in my third year, this is, oh my goodness, this is very bad as 
um, example as well. But in my third year, I got pregnant. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. I'm sorry, parents who are listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, I was already married, yeah. mm. right? And you know, I was. I'm a, I was a mature student, yeah. and we were already trying, and it was a very difficult process for us. So, mm. um, it, you know, you know how some people like they touch each other and they get pregnant, and then they have like. <laughs> Kids right. because it's just so easy uh-huh. but for some of us it's very difficult okay. you know we had to we had to seek a lot of help intervention so mm. when the baby came along it, there was it you know it was a no-brainer i was going to do all of this at the same mm-hmm. time uh, and also because i was awarded the the jazz association uh, scholarship right. that same yeah. year and yeah i was i was i was not letting any of that go so i plowed through uh, I had the baby, mm-hmm. and then I did my final recital, and then I graduated. Can I can I hold you in a bit? I graduated at the top of my class because I've never done that. There you before. go. I was always at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was always at the last five, right. so you know I'm just so super so pleased. You, you found this. a calling. Um, but right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think I just I just you know put everything into it and just hunkered down and. I just did it, you know, because you had to. There was that I, I could not, I could not fail, mm-hmm. right? I could not allow myself to fail, yeah. and so I just somehow or other pulled through. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess if we fast forward, because it wasn't wasn't that long ago. That was in two thousand and nineteen, yeah. and it's only twenty twenty one now. Um, in between, uh, when I was in my was it second year, um, I made an album. Mm-hmm. So we recorded uh some original music. And I took the band to tour the music in Taiwan. Um, basically, you know, we would contact the venues, send the, the, the music over, the reels, the everything that they needed, um, get grants, funding, you know, rehearsals, everything, mm. sort out the scores, yeah. um, pack everybody up and head over there and just play. Mm. Right. Yeah. Or you you and, make it sound um, like it's a simple process. It's just this, 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 this. But I'm sure this entire process was extremely tedious, and you put in extreme amounts of work to make everything happen. You know, the funny thing was, it didn't feel it didn't feel difficult because it was so fun and exciting, and you were finally I was finally doing something that, um, you know, I really en- en- enjoyed. No, no, I was always doing stuff that I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, but you know, the next new exciting thing and. You just don't you don't feel it, you know, you don't feel the fatigue, you don't feel the how tedious it is. And you just make it happen, la, right? Mm. And then so fast forward from there until now, um I am I get to be more selective with my yeah. work. Um mainly uh I've got a new uh thing called Jazz for Kids mm. and the idea behind it is doing live music performances with some of our top jazz musicians in Singapore. So they will be part of the band, and I will write a story mm. about. Uh, for now, uh, my main character is Humpty Dumpty, and me and Humpty we will take the children on a journey to discovering jazz music. Right. right? So we'll break it down into the simplest terms and the simplest uh, elements of it. Like for jazz, it's um, the blues, swing, and improvisation. Mm. And then we will try and use a bit of storytelling of some familiar songs, like Humpty Dumpty's "Set on the Wall," obviously. Um, right. and introduce this sort of musical palette to young children mm. right and 
um, the idea behind it or my intention behind it is just to create opportunities for young children to experience this kind of music. Mm. Um, not because I think that everyone's going to become a jazz musician, but when I was at uh, LaSalle, uh, my favorite class was jazz music history. And um, I discovered how the evolution of jazz uh, gave us all the wonderful um, genres that we know today, right? And if, if you trace, you know, the history of popular music, the music in the 70s was so colorful because the musicians then grew up on a diet of jazz. Mm. So they had at their disposal all of, all of those nuances, those colors, mm. um, those rhythms for them to put into their music. So, okay, it's a bit, bit of a big ask, but if we could have our children just experience a little bit of that, um, I think the music that they go on to appreciate or, or even make later on would be a lot more, a bit more colorful, yeah. right? A bit more exciting, a bit mm. more fun. So that's just, you know, a very simple intention. Not, I'm not trying to, you know, create jazz musicians. Yeah, right, <laughs> the, the next video. generation I of... I want to create <laughs> jazz musicians. <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear, dear. See, I'm still really bad at saying the right <laughs> no, thing. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. This is terrible. But uh, it, it starts from there, you know, uh, g- giving the kids this platform to be exposed to these things. And then if they find an interest, like yourself, getting so deeply embedded in, into music, then they can take it. And then they know that there are these uh, different platforms, uh, organizations and mediums out there to take their interests up to another level, isn't it? Can I can I tell you a, a story about this? Yeah. So it's so um, the first time I was able to present jazz for kids with Humpty Dumpty and my band um, was at Arts in Your Neighborhood in November of twenty nineteen, mm. and so the funny thing was that that was exactly when the Utopia Symphony was recorded in London by the London Philharmonic Orchestra and the London Philharmonic Choir at the legendary Abbey yeah. Road Studios. And so I was meant to go with the team to London to listen to this fantastic orchestra record the music mm-hmm. live at the Abbey Road Studios. But I was stuck in Singapore because I was um, already committed to Arts in Your Neighbourhood, which I must clarify, yeah. I was really mm. happy about because it was my baby that I had conceptualised and written and commissioned a puppet. Yeah. And all that. Okay, so I mean, it's just, you know, one mm. of those things that I'll never get back. <laughs> right, right. There you go. Yeah. But hey, at least you, you got to spend some time with Humpty Dumpty. That's not, not the end of the world. I right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, you, you mentioned something about this plateau that you were facing before you went into music school. And I, I want to go a little bit deeper on this mm-hmm. because and once you hit this plateau, uh, the direction you took was to, I have to go now double down and go to music school and not take this other path, which is to go back to go back and find another full-time job that was not related to music. And did it ever cross your mind to, to go back to that previous lifestyle, which can I say, quote-unquote, is a little bit uh, simpler or the easier path? Well, depends on how you look at it. It could be simpler or it could be much more miserable. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question quite simply, yes, and I consider it almost all the time. Because, I mean, it is a daily struggle. Um, I recently saw a meme on online where, you know, um, 
oh dear, I don't remember. It was posted by Studio Ghibli, and mm. it was about you know the the creation process. So, um, I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this because I can't. I suddenly cannot remember the the name of the 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 guy who creates all the Studio Ghibli work. I just cannot remember. Miyazaki. But the meme was oh. about him. Yeah, and he's. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just going, this is so hard. I can't do this today. And then he goes away and does something. He comes back and then he, he complains about it being so difficult, writing so difficult. This is not it. This is bad. I can't, I can't put this out. He bins it and he goes away. And this happens a few times. And at the end, he still hasn't got it. But he says, well, it, everything that is worth doing is a hassle. And when you get rid of the hassle, you want it back. You know, and that's that's just the process. Mm. So this daily struggle of trying to figure out how to do something, and for us as freelancers in Singapore, a big part of it is surviving, right? So where you get your income is a big part of this daily struggle and these daily questions. And so definitely, I think about it a lot. But um, as I mentioned uh, earlier, no process or no experience is wasted. Um, even when I was working in industries unrelated to music, you know the na- the 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 nature of the work uh, that I did uh, involved writing, uh, you know, marketing blurbs and so skills like that. But thinking about how do you um, fine tune your message? What do people need to know about your mm. project, about this thing that you are doing? Um, everything is is relevant and transferable, right? Yeah. So. I think about it a lot. Um, I'm very fortunate that my husband uh, has a full-time job um, in actually the same area as, as it's kind of sort of the same area as me. So it's music-related, but in, in the management aspect. So mm. we're very lucky. Um, and so we don't really have to grapple with a lot of the questions that many freelancers do. Mm. But definitely um, thinking about, do I get a job that fulfills my... Uh, income requirements and then be free to create the art or the music that I prefer that I enjoy that you know only the projects I really really want to do and um, also having that stable income so I can actually fund part of it so I don't have to worry so much about um, where the money is going to come from Mm. but then again um, as I have, have seen and experienced once you have a day job that sucks your life um, most of the week, mm. there is going to be very little energy left yeah. to put into your other uh, your other other endeavors, your other explorations. Mm. So it's always a trade off, and we're always we're always discussing this at home. You know, um, I really want to do this project because you know I feel like it needs to get out there, or at least I need to get it out there. If mm. whether or not anyone gets to hear it or listen to it, um, yeah, but. I think the main thing that keeps us going is that I still feel that there is more um, that we have to give and it, it just doesn't feel time to stop yet. But definitely um, as my priorities and my available time changes and is more limited, uh, I have to make some hard decisions and really just pick the ones that I really, really want to do as opposed to just, you know, sitting here and there mm. um, which is quite a, a difficult thing to consider because they just announced that singing is going to be allowed at, at events again really really soon yeah if you, I don't nice. know if you noticed that little that little 
bit in all the announcements. Yes. And so I will be faced with this this dilemma again, right. but I hope I will stay strong. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I completely understand where you're coming from in terms of as freelancers turning away work is never really a good feeling because you are turning away income and, and things mm. like that, isn't it? And uh, you you made such a such an important point, and that is energy as a resource for ourselves and the work that we create. And I think not enough attention is given to this. We always talk about time. We've got no time to do this. We've got no time to do that. Sometimes it's not just time. Sometimes it's also the energy, you know. And when you invest your energy in a job that you're not 100% passionate about or you don't feel so strongly about, um, when you come back, even if you've got all the time in the world, you just have no energy to, to pick yourself up and to do some of the, the work that you think that is important, isn't it? Can, can we talk about your your approach to music and your musical styles and how it has distilled? And listening to your music now, I, I feel like the, the style is very, very clear. You have your own, uh, obviously, a signature voice and then a, a, a touch to the music that you create. How do you come to this point and what has been, what has the process been like for you? I think at the start, uh, I was just very... Um, not confident about what I was able to produce. Um, even now, I feel that a lot of my work is intertwined with my husband, who is a composer. And uh, a very good example is the album that we made uh, in 2016, mm. where um, I did some of the writing, but he uh, did all of the arranging as well as um, composed a lot of the music that was on there. My own preference is to make music that is fun. Um, I don't like uh, soppy, um, sad songs. Mm. Uh, not that I don't like to listen to them, but I don't think I write them well okay. because there are so many incredible writers who, who already do such a good job of it. So for me, mm. I like to write about fun stuff, which uh, if we take the instance of my album, Marco Lopo, which mm-hmm. uh, is... Well, the title um, song is about a bunny rabbit whose name is Marco Lobo or Marco Lobo, mm. which actually means Marco uh, Carrot, yeah. right? And so I imagine this little world where there's a bunny who wants to be like Marco Polo and explore uh, the world on a ship, um, you know, and then and then um, my, the, my, my husband who did the arrangement took inspiration from that idea as well. Um, so the melody contour in the chorus, for example, uh, you know, mimics the, the the movement of a, of waves, and um, the meter as mm. well. So the meter is mostly seven four, but it's a mixed meter song. So, you know, we, we just we just want to take these ideas and have fun mm. with it, mm. right? Um, and so now we actually have um. We have music that we want to record, but we just haven't found the right time to do it yet. Right. Uh, but I dare say that that my personal approach to it is still, you know, maybe a bit of storytelling, um, definitely a lot of fun mm. uh, and imagination. And yeah, listen to it, please, on Spotify. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. We'll, we'll put that link up on the on the show notes for sure. And uh, speaking of yay, thank yeah, you. Your your ideas and your your approach to music. This segue 
quite nicely to the next question, which is over the last year, of course, you've already mentioned how tough and how badly hit uh, our entire industry, how badly the industry has been hit. And uh, so you came up with a, a single during this time called Delivery, which I thought is absolutely brilliant. Put a smile on my face when I listened to it. So really whimsical. Uh, can you uh, share with us this the creative process of this song? And how was this recorded? So Delivery, well, I was actually just mucking around with the, the idea as as I was, you know, shopping online as as we we were doing a lot of during yeah. circuit breaker. Mm. And so, you know, I, 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 I put an item in, I, I take an item out, I put another item in and I I think about checking out. Yeah. Right. So and then from there I thought, okay, let's you know, I've been I've been on my bum for long enough. Let's let's do something. Mm. Um and so I wrote it um fairly quickly. Mm-hmm because the inspiration was very real. Yeah. And then I plonked it onto a lead sheet uh, in Sibelius. And then I, you know, kind of wrote a little simple intro and an and ending as you would for, uh, you know, for, for jazz uh, tunes. And then I contacted um, some of my bandmates um, because of the style that I wanted it to be in. So I kind of contacted those guys. And everyone was just like dying from being indoors for too long. And they were like, okay, yes, let's do it. And so I recorded a guide track with the vocal guide as well as a, <clears throat> on a click track and a bass line. Mm. Uh, my husband plays bass. So we were able to record that in, in our home. And then we sent that off to our guitarist friend who tracked his bit. Uh, after which we sent that to our, our violinist friend who tracked his bit. And it was all like I think we all had the same experience. We we're like, "Oh my goodness, can you could you hear the the vehicle go by <laughs> in that track and you play it back and then you put the noise gate on?" It's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I I can do I can yeah. live with this." And then you EQ the hell of out of it so that it sounds decent. And then you know I re-recorded the vocals, um, the bass, which was the double bass. We we put a line in and then we put a mic at the at the hands and the strings. To, to give a blended sound so it's not so mm. weird. Um, yeah, all, all of that and then mix and then just put it up on online. Um, so it was a different yeah. experience for us because uh, for, for jazz, we generally like to record all together in the studio because then we can react to mm. each other. Right? The musicians will, you know, might make little... Um, you know, little bits here and there in response yeah. to each other. But because we couldn't, then we just had to make um, the most of it in that situation. Mm. And and then I I um I made a little animated video for it. I, I can't remember where I put it now. See, right. I'm terrible. Maybe YouTube. Maybe Facebook. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. Same thing. Yeah. So now it's out there. Yeah, it will also be on the show notes definitely. Uh, I I think this. <laughs> part about keeping our creativity and and I was I, I think of creativity as like a muscle that we have to work regularly it, it kind of deteriorates yeah mm-hmm. at, at least I feel like like something's quite something's off with me but I, I can't tell what is like exactly off is when like there's actually nothing interesting coming out of my mind and I think yeah it, it really kind of mm-hmm. uh, frustrates me and I get scared of that actually 
I feel like I'll lose the ability if I don't do that or I don't activate that muscle in a long time. I don't know how you feel about that. Do you feel the same way? Definitely because you you can only produce... uh What you produce is a reflection of what you consume, mm. right? So if you have nothing coming in, uh, then nothing interesting is going to come out, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. So what do you do? How do you jolt your uh, creative juices? Uh, for me, I think about... I, I just start practicing. I start playing, you know, and I... <sighs> wow. It It's hard, right? Because there, there's really... Um, I, I say, in a way, you're a singer. I'm a, I'm a brass player. And I play the euphonium. And it's it's just like, there's just no gigs going on. Yeah. And then when you see a grunt come mm. up and then you just apply for it, right? It's just like, we have to, yeah, we just try. Yeah, we get it or not, doesn't matter. So, um, I, I've been fortunate enough to work with a group of, group of people, my quartet. You know, we managed to commission 15 new pieces uh, around the end of last year. Short wow, pieces. Wow, awesome. Yeah we, yeah, we are a mixed quartet. So it's saxophone, clarinet, euphonium, and trombone. So it's uh, there's no new music. Uh, there's no pre-written music for us. So uh, we just thought like, yeah, well, let's take this chance to uh, create some repertoire for us. Yeah. So we started this um, uh, this sort of music omakase project that we commissioned five composers, three pieces each. Each piece is about um, between two and a half to three and a half minutes long. So the idea is this small little bites of music that is, uh, they can take it any way mm. they like, but just bites of music that reflects us as a group and also that, that is true to Singapore in a way. Yeah, so some sort of cultural influences and then uh, how we can take uh, contemporary music practice and sort of like stretch it. This is very interesting. I'm very sorry to yeah. hijack your podcast like this, mm. but I need to uh, ask you more about this. But perhaps yeah, later yeah, on sure. so that I don't hijack yeah, yeah. you. De- definitely. More, more than happy to share. Go, going back to how this last year has been, you know, um, have you got some time to slow down, recalibrate things a little bit, uh, do some of the things that you have already, you've been interested in, but never really got to do? Hmm... Well, I'm very I'm very sorry for always bringing like heavy topics to your podcast, but the thing is, I I struggle with um uh, pre and postnatal blues, mm. so it was very difficult for me to get off my bum and do stuff, generally speaking. Okay. Um, but the fog did lift uh for you know short periods for me, and I was able to get back into some hobbies that um I had uh put aside for a while, so. Um, I got into sewing again, so I made some stuff. Uh, it actually started with face masks, mm. right? Because um, I couldn't find small enough ones for my toddler, so I thought, okay lah, let's just let's just make, uh, let's just make a few pieces for him. Also because he was a little too young for face masks, and I didn't want to, you know, spend a lot of money on things that he was not going to use. Mm. And so I made those, and then um, it ended up that I made some for my family as well, and then. Um, I moved on to making some clothing, which, you know, turned out 
to varying degrees of success. <laughs> right. Mm, some not so right. Mm. One sleeve longer than the other. Uh, One. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, some things that I, I might not really want right. to wear. Um, yeah, and and I also uh, this year, I do not know why. I like to do this to myself, but two weeks before I was due, mm. I decided it was a good time to start a new uh, crochet project. Because, you know, I wasn't okay. already busy enough. I mean, I'm just a bit crazy that way. I thought I wanted to make the most of these last two weeks. And it, it yeah. turned it into two months before I managed to finish. Because <laughs> noob, right? I didn't know what I was doing. It was okay. terrible. Um, but I got it done in the end. And, and I guess it was sort of fun um, mm. to, <laughs> to do. Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, but also, I, I wouldn't really say it was... Um, a complete slowdown because I was really working throughout. Mm. Um, I only took a month. Let me see. How long did I take? My brain is foggy. I did take some time off my main work, mm. but I also had to continue um, teaching a class that I have at LaSalle. Mm-hmm. I do a, a music entrepreneurship class uh, for the diploma students. Mm. And, you know, I, I couldn't really expect them to change the academic calendar for me. So I had to still be available to mm. help the students with their assignments. Right, right. Um, so, actually, I think now is quite a... Um, this past hour has been a really nice one. Nice. Break. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. So, and uh, it's, it is quite incredible how every single time you end off a question, it's just like a perfect segue into the next one because I want to ask you, yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you. Uh, you teach music entrepreneurship in La Salle. I would say that your education history and the way that you've crafted out your career is perhaps not conventional, at least in this sort of like classical um, music sense. Where, like myself, I've never uh, attended school for like a business degree. I've got no background in anything, uh, or I'm not qualified for anything apart from music. So I, I did a diploma in NAFA. After that, I went overseas for a couple of years. Now I'm back here. So I find myself uh, having to learn these things about managing our careers and growing our work because certainly I think the the way, of, uh, the way moving forward is not for us to do more work, but for us to also take some time out to grow our work and not sit around waiting to get the phone call or the message to be hired, but to be proactive and do our projects and show our work so that people know what we are about, right? So uh, you've recorded uh, albums, okay? So I just want to start off with asking you, what does creating or recording an album mean to you as an artist? Because I've heard uh, people say that it is a snapshot of their creativity or it's they put a timestamp, right, on their career that at this point, this is what I've got and this is what I have to say and it's a, reflective of, uh, it's a reflection of who I am as an artist. But then there are also other people that I've seen, particularly I, I speak for euphonium players, that just comes up with CDs all the time and it's just a selection of repertoire that I feel like don't have much meaning behind it. So what does it mean for you to create an album? 
Well, I absolutely agree with that first interpretation that you mentioned. That uh, the recordings that I make are a, re- a reflection of who I am at that time. Um, it is to, mm. yeah, it's just a you know, it is to remember what sort of person or who you were, you know, at that mm. point in your life, at that stage in your career. Um, and then you know, fast forward a few years, you may not be that person anymore, but you will always have that that recording as a memory. Um, but also because I don't have. Um, money trees, so I can't really like put out albums whenever I feel mm. like, and so to make an album for me really is a it's a labor of 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 love, mm. uh, of what I love, and also it is a real labor because you gotta do so many things just to make it happen, right? Um, but I think if anyone is considering whether or not to take up a project that. Uh, you know, really interests you, but you're not sure if you should do. Um, granted that not all of us have the luxury of choosing, because for for many of us, you can't stop hustling, mm. right? That it's not even a choice. It's not you can't even consider it because you you need the money. Um, but even through this daily hustle, if there is something that really speaks to you and you really want to do. Um, I do encourage you to find a way to make it happen in a small way, it, even if it's um, a switch in career or even just an exploration within your own career. Um, just try it out in a small way. Mm. Put some funds aside, maybe a few hundred dollars. I know it's easy for me to say for some people, a few hundred dollars is more than they can spend. Mm. Um, but with whatever means you have, right? Explore it. Do it. Um, you will learn so much through that experience, and because it's something that you enjoy and that you like, people will see your output. Um, they will know who you are, what you are about, mm. um, and then perhaps an opportunity will come to you down the road because of this uh, exploration that you have done, that you have put your your money, your time, your heart, your soul into, um, and then good things could happen for you. I'm not saying that it always、mm. does, but that is, I think, the first step to creating your opportunities,、um, especially if you are in a rut, and you know when you are trying to do something new, it's not just about、um, making money or generating a new income, but it's kind of like jolting yourself out of the 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 bad place you're in, for example, right? So yeah, in a small way, do it in a small. We don't just go like, oh, I'm going to quit my job now, and then I'm going to make yeah, an album,、yeah. and I'm going to be a rock star. I mean,、right? I mean, that's just、mm. yeah.、Uh, you will find yourself, you know, right where you started. So, but it's okay to do it in a in a in a small way. You will still reap a lot of the benefits. Yeah,、um, here, here, yeah, absolutely, yeah, completely agree with you. And now let's talk about.、Uh, Marco Lopo a little bit, right? Let's talk about your creative process behind this whole album, which obviously you are is something that you have put in a lot of work, something that you are super passionate about, and I just want to share with you, uh, my impression when I listen to the album, and uh, I have a much better understanding now that you've shared your own musical style because I get transported into this other world that is, um. In a way, you know, you have、uh, 
uh, animals, you have uh, vegetables, you have so many things going on, right, in that album. And then from track to track, you have this um, different sort of styles in your music. You have very elaborately written uh, or fantastic uh, instrumentalists doing improvisation. Yeah, so all in all, really, really enjoyable. Really, really fun to listen to. So now back to you. Talk us through how this whole... Uh, what this process was like and how you came up with the end product. First of all, thank you for contributing to my pathetic <laughs> dreams. I really appreciate it. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, right. Yeah, the album is really hard to find online because the, the album title is in Mandarin and you have to type the Mandarin title in or you need a direct link and that was really a failure of marketing on my part. But if we were to talk about the more fun mm. part of it, which is the you know creative process, um, it... It really is just a, a, a reflection of a, the kind of music that I wanted to make and I still want to make. You know, um, it's kind of who I am. Uh, for example, so we've talked about Marco Lopo. Uh, the opening song is called, uh, is called Veggie Samba. Which we'll hear which is at, the, literally, at the beginning of this episode, actually. Yeah. Yes. And it is literally what the title says. It's just about vegetables dancing samba. And uh, the, the inspiration was actually from... Um, an, an advertisement that I remember from a long time ago. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was a biscuit that was pizza flavor or something. And then the camera goes and it zooms in and then you see the ingredients dancing on the biscuit. And that was it. That was it. So, you know, just I thought, oh, mm, sounds like a fun thing. Let's, let's write about it. <laughs> right. For the first two songs on the album, uh, Veggie Samba and Marco Lopo, we actually had a guest percussionist, a yes. world percussionist to record um, his bit remotely. So this J- Japanese percussionist who is based in New York is a friend of uh, Felix, who is my husband, um, from school uh, mm. at Berkeley College. And um, so we were very lucky that he was, he had some time and he made that, those track recordings remotely for us uh, because um, he has now recorded with many Grammy Award winning bands in New York. So um, we were really lucky to have the extra color mm. palette um, from him. And so that was nice. Um, and then some of the other ones were, uh, there was one where we did a collaboration with a couple of, um, how do I say? They are Chinese mm. boys who play Indian yes. instruments. So Krishna and yeah. Govintan uh, on the sita and the tabla. Yeah. Um, and that song was actually my imagination of um, like a little mouse uh, who has come to Singapore from like maybe India or Bangladesh seeking his fortunes as a mm. migrant worker. And he sees, you know, the, the shiny buildings and, and the lush trees. And that, that's, you know, sort of his impression of it. And um, I, I hope I'm not like culturally doing any like cultural appropriation or anything. These things are very sensitive mm. nowadays, but I wouldn't say that, that the song is, an authentic representation of Indian mm. music. I mean, can you even call it Indian music? There's so many subgenres, you know, right? So many yeah. types, mm. right? Um, but it is, I guess, um, how I I hear mm. it, right? How we hear it as uh, as Chinese Singaporeans um, who are trying to just color in this this idea that that mm. I had, right? 
um yeah so we had the 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 sita on it and the tabla on it and uh, the melody itself was composed using a synthetic scale um yeah to to kind of get that effect mm. I sound very clever, but actually my husband wrote that too. So, um, uh, yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you, yeah, you, you get that uh, inspiration from Indian music right off the get-go. Right from the, the moment the, the vocals came in. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. Wow, you listened to all of yeah. it. Thank you. I did. I, I'm not lying. Oh, yeah. I'm not lying. <laughs> yeah, when I said I, I listened to all of it. Yeah, yeah. But... But I, but I thought that that was a the interesting one, and it's actually like I'm not uh, at all well versed in in jazz language and jazz genres. I know the basics, so certainly if you want to quiz me on like oh you know what style is this, I can't answer you. But uh, ethnic styles that I got quite kind of immediately. This album, if you if you ask a, a jazz musician, they'll tell you it's oh, yeah it's kind of pop pop jazz and then you ask a, a pop musician they say yeah no, yes. pop jazz. you know so i mean it's, it's really it's really what yeah. you're used to right what your ear is mm. used to yeah uh so now talk about what was it like after the the recording of the album so um of course post-production and, and things like that but what did you have to do to uh, promote this work Oh, I missed something. Can yeah, I just backtrack a bit? Yeah. So, um, in terms of of the mixing, we we had a, a mixing engineer who had an art, artistic concept as well of you know the first nine songs being in an imaginary uh, world, and then the last song kind of like being in a real world. So you can hear it in like there's a subtle difference in the way the songs mm. are mixed, um, as well. And then after um. After everything was done, uh, we actually took the music on tour before the album was was uh, released and then after again that mm. it was released. Ideally, we would have been able to play the music a lot before we went into the, into the studio. So the music would have been a lot more, um, you know, comfortable, I suppose, mm. more, more solid. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't have that luxury. So um, we did what we could with what we had and then we released it with a live show at the Esplanade Recital Studio as part of the Hawaii mm. Festival. And um, uh, I had a lot of fun with that, actually. So I had dancers come in to to, um, to perform for the opening track. And then for one of the middle tracks, which was inspired by um, my nephew's uh, favorite uh, teddy bear. Okay. And the song is called My Best right. Friend. Right. Uh, and so I had my sister dress up as a bear mascot, come on and act out a scene that I had in my head when I was I was writing the okay. song. So this bear, he goes into a bar mm. and then he's like, he's having a really rough day. And so he goes to the bartender who is Ken, Barbie's right. boyfriend. And then he orders a root beer. And then Ken goes, oh, are you having a rough day? And the, bar, uh, the bear is like, yeah, I fell into the potty today. Um, I just want to retire and go lie on the beach in Barbados and sip cocktails and all that kind of thing. Okay. So, you know, I mean, just being able to realize that right. was fun. Right. And, and the things um, a, and a sibling would do, right? <laughs> <laughs> she has fun. Right. She's crazy like okay. me. You know, we're all uh, peas in a pod. Yeah. There you go. So, 
the marketing thing really was was a really big learning experience for me because all of our funds we spent on making the mm. record, right? And then there was very little left for the marketing itself. So um, I sent out the press releases. You know, we got a few uh, articles out, and that was really cool. I, I, was, I was really lucky. Um, but also, I learned that um, it's got to be a bit more paced. Uh, you have to put money towards mm. it. And I'm still learning. I still don't really um, know a whole lot about the whole marketing cycle. But I do realize that it has to be a, a, a long process. It's not, you, you can't just, it's not like fireworks where everything comes and explodes and, and then and then people forget about yeah. it, right? So I'm still learning and I'm still figuring out. Hopefully there will be um, another recording project where I can, you know, test some of these you know ideas or thoughts or theories mm. again hopefully right. yeah mm. and now uh like throughout this chat as well you've you've mentioned this desire to go back to the studio so can you give us a, a scope into what uh what are the possibilities of a future project or and or what it looks like so um Actually, during Circuit Breaker, we were thinking of recording some uh, jazz arrangements of nursery rhymes. I'm not sure if that's going mm. to happen. Uh, um, because of copyright issues, it's a bit problematic. But uh, it's a possibility. Okay. And another possibility is that we do have already a couple of songs written uh, that are ready to go into the studio um, for recording. And if things open up enough and my baby decides to sleep longer than half an hour at a go I might be able to uh, sneak out to the studio let's see I don't know maybe maybe hopefully end of this right, year right maybe yeah but I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you and definitely keep my ears peeled huh, for any sort of new projects that is coming I will let you know fantastic yeah <laughs> And you know time is flying, and I don't want you to keep here. I don't want to keep you here for too long, uh, as much as you might be enjoying this uh, slightly more than one hour break. Uh, I know you've got other duties to oh, get. Oh, it through. has been, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Uh, you have mentioned, uh, or you've given this uh, little tip about how one could approach this sort of transition into um, pursuing something that they are more. Uh, passionate about or something that you feel strongly for uh, what, what are some other things that you would say to someone who is now at the cusp and is afraid of taking this uh, risk to pursue something that they're truly passionate about I'd say speak to as many people as you can find speak to people who are in the industry speak to people who are not speak to people who have done a lot of things, speak to people who have who are just starting out. Everyone has a different experience and you never know where you will find something useful. Um, definitely at the end of it, you are your decision maker. But like, um, for example, um, with my work at the foundation, there are a lot of things that I don't know, right? There are a lot of things that seem exciting, um, that seem worth pursuing, but I don't know. So what do I do? I, I speak to as many people as possible. Um, could be my boss it could be friends uh 
talk to them about the ideas and then they 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 might tell you something from their own experience that you completely had not expected and then by the time you speak to a few people you will have a better idea of um, how to proceed whether or not to proceed um, you know in what scope or what in what area you might want to to explore um, and definitely just coloring in the map um, you know how when you play RPG games, then the map is hidden, right? So mm. they're just sort of revealing parts of it a bit more, yeah. so that you 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 have an idea of how to move forward. There is definitely, like you said, there is no right or wrong. There is no um, uh, definite answer to anything. It's just really revealing as much of the uncertainty as possible and then making an informed decision under the circumstances that you you have Mm. so find out as much as possible and then try um try try it in a in a small way so i guess it boils down for me at least that's my approach um to these Mm, two things absolutely and that um i i think after you start this off and you feel like this is something that you want to do a little bit more of, you got to also switch the mindset that perhaps we have to get out of this hobby mode and this is now work, right? And there's when, when it's work, it's uh, uh, a, a daily sort of, um, you may say, grind or, you know, it, it's a little bit like your Miyazaki eh? um, uh, example where you turn up, you just do the work and then... Today is not good, but it's okay. We bin it and then we come back again the next day. We do the work again and then we come back. Yeah, it's, it's this thing that you tell yourself that I've signed up for this and therefore every day I'm going to dedicate a particular amount of time to work on this craft and to develop this. Yeah, and this is... And when you put it like that, sometimes people are like, maybe I'm not prepared for this in a way. But then again, you'll never know until you live it for a period of time, then you start to realize, yeah, whether it is kind of like as if you've imagined, or is it something else? Yeah. Yep, it's always a it's always a great idea until you start doing it. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> you just see things flaking <laughs> out, right, falling apart, and things like that. You'll be like, yeah, yeah. great. And I think this is a a great time and a great point of conversation for us to wrap things up. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Dawn. Uh, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you. And likewise, I enjoyed myself very much today. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I think you are absolute force of nature. You make everything that you do sound really simple and really easy, but I have a feeling that it is not at all. <laughs> and it takes a lot, a lot of work and a lot of courage to do the things that you do. Same with everybody. Just one of the guys. All of the materials and all of the the songs and the work that we mentioned in this chat will be provided in the show description. So check them out. Listen to it. All really, really fantastic stuff. Thank you once again, Don, for coming on to the show. And for all of you listening, thank you for staying with us throughout this episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.